Hello, welcome to the Azarian Podcast. Hey, hello. Hey. Hello, hello. Episode 20. Is, Is it? it? I think so. Oh, cool. Oh my god. That's Can't believe we've been doing it for 20 years. Yeah, at a rate of one a year. 1997. <laughs> 20 dog we years. We recorded our first podcast when Final Fantasy VII came out. Oh my god. We're the same age as Final Fantasy VII. Now it's time to kill ourselves. <laughs> a crushing preview of what's to come. <laughs> uh, I'm full of shit, it's episode 19 oh, <laughs> So, still another year till we have to end ourselves, that's good We can so make loads of a year Please look forward to it <laughs> Please be excited, etc No idea why I thought it was episode 20 this week I'll be We're honest, thinking. I didn't know what episode it was Start putting the numbers in the episodes Yeah, um, yeah welcome to the show uh, We're going to ramble about video games and tech for the next hour or so yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm Brian. I'm Dave. I'm Liam. Cool. Now that the introductions are out of the way, mm-hmm. last week we had a competition to win a copy of World of Goo. That's right. It was the poorly remembered game quote. The poorly remembered game quote. And uh, World of Goo is an oldie but a goodie. And we mm-hmm. had two correct entries. So rather than a random name generator, I figured we'd just toss a coin. Yeah, sure. Right. Makes sense to me. Martin and Ian. Um, Martin, you can be heads. Hey, it fell off the table. It's on the floor. It's on the floor. It hit my foot. Fun That's the tails. Tails. And the results are in. So that's uh, Ian then? Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, we'll get the code over to you. You can have that copy of World of Goo on Steam or Android, I think. Ah. Uh, or iOS, maybe? Like every format in the world, yeah, I'm sure. We'll, we'll speak to you after the podcast anyway. And just as a reminder, that quote again was... Um, I should have been the one to fill your dark soul with light. And it was from Devil May Cry. It was light! So here's that clip in its original context. I should have been the one to fill your dark soul with light! light, light. That game's amazing. That's, uh, I, I don't remember it, actually, at all from the from the game. Despite having completed it many years ago. So maybe you need to go back and try that out. A Hideki Kamiya classic. It was, this uh, is what you're missing on Microsoft. It was a good game. Good hack and slash. Bound. It was well. It's the, the originator of the what they what is now referred to as the character action game. The originator of Bayonetta, near the top of every game that Platinum makes. Yeah. is this kind of game. I wonder how it holds up after quite a while to go back. And uh, I think the, the the standard bearer is generally assumed to be Devil May Cry three. I think Devil May Cry one's a bit dated now. Right. Devil May Cry two nobody likes because Dante's not Dante in it. Um, Devil May Cry two is a weird game. Yeah, it's not. It's the combat is actually pretty decent. Like they they had the um, real time weapon switching and all that kind of thing, which was good. But the setting of the game is just boring. The secondary character she's got a cool design, but there's nothing much to her. Something like Lucretia or something. Lucretia. Uh, no, that's the one in Final Fantasy VII. But her name is like that. It's, um, it was Lucia or something like that. Yeah. Um, it was also sponsored by Diesel Jeans, wasn't it? Yes, you could unlock um, Diesel Jeans for um, both characters. Wow. Mm-hmm. Not not Devil May Cry's finer moment. Absolutely not. But it gave gave way for Devil May Cry three, which is excellent. So. It's a very good game, yeah. Uh, how did you guys feel about Devil May Cry four? I, I liked it. Fine. Yeah. I liked it. Yeah. I thought it was it was really uh, nice gameplay. I was I was worried it was going to do the MGS two thing with the the kind of protege type character in it, mm-hmm. but I think it balanced them out quite well. Well, the, the game is it's actually half a game, which is why you go through the levels in reverse with Dante. Hmm. Um, they did not finish the game. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. There's like, there's artwork in the, the art book for it, like, describing what they wanted for the game. 
Uh, but um, Capcom just didn't give them enough time. Uh, so they released literally half a game. Had to completely restructure the story. Uh-huh. The ending's totally different. Um, right. It was going to give a bit more to what um, Nero's origins were. Because he's obviously got the demon arm, but they never explain it. Yeah. Um, it's implied to be Dante's brother, Virgil. Oh, okay. um, as a spirit possessing him, but it's never made clear and they never go into it in much depth. It's a shame. But the gameplay is incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really tight. I, mean, I think what they managed to, to pull off, uh, from what I remember of it, was pretty enjoyable. Mm. Um, the story didn't seem like it had been been cut. or But I do, I do recall that the levels did kind of mirror one another, so I didn't know if that was... You, you literally go through the game in reverse. Yeah. Dante, so. Oh, well, okay. Uh, and dare I ask, how did you guys feel about DMC? Um, I thought the gameplay was passable, but it's just an obnoxious game. I don't like it. Like, it's it's so much in contempt in its predecessors. Yeah. And that really put me off it. Yeah, like the... You hear about like the way the developers of that game talked about the series and how much they obviously disliked so much of it. You think, like, well, why are you making yeah. this? Why yeah. did Capcom give you this game? Yeah. And why are you treating it like this? Like, if you, do, if you don't intend to treat this franchise with respect... Mm. You should say to the you should say to the licensor or the publisher, look, we we can't do this justice. We don't like the game. We don't want to be involved. Rather mm-hmm. than saying we can do this better. I mean, it's fine changing stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like, but when you're changing stuff and it feels like it's just out of spite, yeah, sure. And that's where there there, there were an quite issue. quite a few uh, knocks towards the original game and the, the like the blonde uh, the silver haired Dante in it and stuff. Oh, they, there's a wig that lands on. Uh, not Dan- Dante, sorry, um, as they call him. Uh, lands on his head and looks in a mirror and goes, oh, not in a million years. Yeah, it's like, yeah. really? Come on. And then there's <laughs> this sort of like narcissistic stuff where, have you seen, there's like the lead developer or whatever his name is. Uh, oh, yeah. And, and he just looks like, he, he dresses and has the same hairstyle as the Dante. Oh, right. Okay. So Dante is just modeled off of what he thinks is cool and what he thinks is cool yeah. is what he was, was like. that ninja theory that ninja theory developed that's right it. yeah yeah I, mean, I, I quite enjoyed it for what it was but it, it the it did seem a bit cheeky i don't know if it was like hmm. maybe just marketing or something or i don't yeah. know because it's there's things specifically that, that the developers said where they actively dislike the original games all oh, right so they they talk a lot of shit about them yeah not can... just sort of like friendly ribbon where they're like yeah. oh yeah yeah like isn't it so camp and rubbish and but it's sort of stuff like this game is awful kind of stuff i'm pretty sure there's like there's a there's a presentation that the the head the lead creative guy did and there's a set of slideshows or a set of slides in a slideshow i should yeah. say and one of them like pretty much it says like eh, original dante is a gay cowboy and that's not cool yeah. it's like one is not and two come on it's like <laughs> yeah i suppose it's going to be vastly different approaches as well based on where the studios are uh, located yeah, um, London versus Tokyo. It's yeah, different. It's almost like the Tokyo studio romanticizes the the horror genre. Yeah, and then the the London studio is creating something really edgy and like, oh no, we need to create something new. But it was a, a lot of like really off color jokes in it. Like there was jokes about miscarriage and stuff like that, which is like kind of not on. Sure, that's quite. That's like, oh yeah, there's yeah, like gross right. humor, but then there's like oh, another bit you're talking uh, about. Uh, and then like one point, Virgil, like one of Virgil's lines is like. I have a bigger dick than you, Dante. I was like, are you serious? <laughs> oh yeah, because they're twins. Yeah. I think it was, it was some ribbon. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, great series overall. It's Look- a shame that Capcom don't want to revive it. The last Dev May Cry title released was a pachinko machine. <laughs> oh no, oh. it's it's going down the the same road as so many others. Mm-hmm. But uh, here's hoping that we get some good news at some point in the future about it. 
perhaps. Uh, so what's been happening this week? Not a lot, to be honest. It's been pretty slow in the build-up to the Switch launching next week. Ooh. So there's not been much going on. Exciting. Liam, I don't know if you got yours pre-ordered. Oh. No. Uh, I will hold off a bit, maybe until I'm a little bit more flush. Sure. Uh, just because I, I can't be spending the money on it right now for yeah, something yeah. that I... I mean, I wouldn't say no to a Switch. I'm sure it'll be fun. It looks like a great piece of hardware, but there's not a lot that I really want to play right now. Yeah. The new Zelda... I don't know when that's come out, if it, but I do want to play that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, I'm quite happy to hold off on it. There's nothing pushing it into my hands. What are the chances of somebody picking one up if they haven't pre-ordered? Uh, I don't know. Um, Is it suffering the same... Chris pre-ordered one last night. Yeah. And then he cancelled it this morning, he said. Oh, right. <laughs> but he did. He was able to <laughs> moment, pre-order one. Moment so. of weakness. Uh, I think he wanted Zelda and then realised that he didn't want Zelda. I'm not sure exactly why. Um, and I'm it's not sure. It's probably you anyway, so. Yeah. I think you can just get it for that. Yeah. Um, but like, uh, it's difficult to tell, like, nobody's really sure of what the stock status is. Like, I'm, obviously Walmarts do have stock in America, from uh-huh. what I've read. Uh, but whether or not that's going to be easy to get is another question because it, I mean, it's pretty clear at this point, Nintendo are not shy of doing the artificial shortage route mm. to increase demand. But that's what they've, they've done that several times now with the, with Amiibos and mm. the NES Mini. Yeah. So I would it would not be beyond them in my mind to do that with a console itself. It's such a shitty move for consumers, but it works. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's maybe different rules with a console, considering they've got a much longer plan. Whereas an amiibo is a standalone thing. The NES Mini was pretty much standalone. Right? Yeah, they want you to buy that as soon as it comes out, so that they can stop producing it and get the next one out. So yeah. by doing artificial shortages, you create. Uh, an urgent need to buy it as soon as it's released. Sure. Whereas I think also uh, the difference with a console is um, you want to be able to sell it to developers. Mm. And if you're there like, oh, well, we've sold out. And they're like, yeah, but how many people own one? And you're like, mm. oh, well, it's a few thousand, you know, a few hundred thousand. They're like, well, that's not a lot. PlayStation 4 has this many. Xbox One has this many. Yeah, goodbye. Like, We're going to develop on that. Yeah, it's like um, you might be able to shift your entire allotment of stock or whatever but Mm -hmm. we're gonna have to shift our games on this console and if you've only got that what do they call it like your install base right yeah um then why are we going to develop for your console that's not how you know amiibos sell then you don't have to sell it to anyone else you know to keep that going so i think it would maybe be a bad move for a console Mm -hmm. it would be it would be um but uh not saying that Nintendo haven't made some bad moves. <laughs> like, so, like I say, well, I don't, I don't think, it, I don't think it's the right move, but I wouldn't put it past Nintendo as it yeah. is. Do you know what day it's released? March third. Yeah. Okay, so we should be able to report back on the next show, kind of. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep an eye on stuff. Like, I'll, I'll, I'm not buying one either. I have no intention of buying one until something that really catches my eye comes out. Like, a, the only titles I have any proper interest in are No More Heroes. Whatever it is, it might be No More Heroes 3 or a completely new title that has Travis Touchdown. Right. And Xenoblade 2. Okay. And even then it's only passing interest, but we'll see. Um, I'll keep an eye on the news. Yeah. Okay. If an interest comes out. Um, I know that you had some mobile phone news. Maybe not directly related to games, but interesting kind of tech. Yeah, the um, the granddaddy of them all, the Nokia 3310 is coming back. This is the, the brick yeah. that so many people had back in the 90s. That's right. Um, one of the most popular phones in the world. Um, well, I mean, before the iPhone. Mm. Um, it was well known for being incredibly resilient, having a long battery life, and 
basically doing everything that you wanted a mobile phone to do back in 2003. And it played Snake. And it played Snake. Oh, was it 2003, sorry? I I think it was was, a while ago now. I think Um, the 3210 was older. That was maybe, wasn't it? The 3210 and then yeah. that kind of thing. I think it's largely my memory. I just, yeah. because it seems so far in the past, I'm just associating it with the, the 90s. Yeah, but. I think the 3210, I don't know how much earlier, but um, that's the one I remember. Right. Not so much the 3310. Mm. Uh, everyone I knew in primary school had a and 3210. Polyphonic ringtones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember uh, typing the X-Men theme into mines and having that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, if I was the composer, that's like a selling point already. That would be great. But um, it's not Nokia that are actually... Well, it's, it has the Nokia brand, in, but it's not Nokia themselves, because Nokia, as a company, technically don't exist anymore. Right, because, but they were bought by Microsoft, weren't yeah. they? And then Microsoft dropped the Nokia brand. Yeah, Microsoft because they've got their own phones. Yeah. Um, it's a Finnish or Swedish startup company, which I believe probably has comprised the people from Nokia, I would imagine anyway, who now own the Nokia brand. Um, and they're making this handset... Um, based on a lot of, like, it's basically the same thing with upgraded features, like it's got a camera and a colour screen and blah blah blah. Um, but it's basically the same handset and it is Nokia branded, so um, I, f- I can see it doing really well. Like, yeah. it, for like, it's just extremely basic, it's gonna run like 40 quid, uh, a month of standby time. Uh, which 20, is insane. Yeah, it's ludicrous. Like, you're lucky if you get 24 hours on a iPhone. This mm. is the benefit of, like, for higher end handsets, they've been constantly pushing the, the, the bar on how far, how much you can get out of one lithium ion battery, and when you're taking that well developed tech and then putting it in a phone that's 10, 15 years old, you're immediately reaping the benefits. You're getting like a ludicrous amount of battery life. Yeah. So that's it's benefiting for lower end phones as well. It's great because the form factor of this phone will allow a much larger, like physical, mm. physically larger battery than say a, a Samsung. Yeah, because there's bugger all in it, so you can yeah. put a huge battery in it. So. Uh, so yeah, I can I can see that I can see it doing really well. It'll sell to a lot of people, like like you like you were saying earlier, old folk. Um, it'll be good for like um, standbys for people going on holiday, mm. going to gigs, festivals. It'll sell gangbusters for tea in the park. Yeah, yeah. When I used to work in phone shops back in the day, um, every time tea in the park would come up, we'd get like a load of like students coming in buying like basic Nokia's throwaway phones. Right. It'll be great for that, but like it'll be resilient, so they'll want to keep it for later because it's just it's a good handset um, so I can see it doing really well for them I hope so anyway hmm. it'll be an interesting one because um, one of the, the big stories that's been used the last week is uh, people having their, their mobile phones requested or forced to be unlocked at mm-hmm. um, border patrols in different countries mm-hmm. and it's obviously the, the biggest example is in the United States but as it transpires this has been happening elsewhere as well mm-hmm. And I guess if you've got your iPhone, that's connected to literally everything. You've got apps for, yeah. for your all your social media. Um, you can have it connected to your Dropbox account. Some people even have it connected to their computers. The amount of stuff a smartphone does, I don't think people realise how much a smartphone means to you these mm. days. Because it, you've become complacent and it doesn't... It never kind of actually sets in your mind how much you're using it. Because, like, I mean, that's I'm guilty of that myself. Like, the number of times I've forgotten my phone when I'm uh-huh. on my way to work and you actually panic. Get you mobile feel, anxiety. You're, you're, you feel your heart in your throat. Right. And you get like proper anxiety but it's like what am I, how am I going to do this, that, the next thing? How am I going to keep an eye on Facebook? How do I know what's going on? How do I chat to people? And it's not that hard to do without it but like it's like a, it's like going cold turkey. It's weird. Yeah. But like um, 
I can see why I can see the appeal for this, especially for people that are going to be working working in offices like you were saying earlier, yeah. like um, that don't want that feeling of being tied to something that's their everything. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because you mentioned as well that some uh, developers or executives in uh, San Francisco, mm. um, in Silicon Valley, in the states, are are adopting this as well, mm-hmm. just as a way to cut themselves off from the rest of the world. Yeah, especially for developers and that kind of thing. Like the everything they do will be so set online. Yeah, a lot of the time you'll find for these kind of people, their work will blur into their social life quite a bit. Yeah, um, so everything they do at home also ties into what they're doing with work and sometimes you need separation for that you can't make your entire life work yeah. as much as japan would like to have you believe that's the case yeah. it's definitely not the case so you have to separate yourself you have to just get out of the way with no connection to your work online life and this phone facilitates that really well yeah so. oh well, okay yeah it's, it's interesting it's it seems like it's doing for mobile phones what um the raspberry pi did for for computers mm. just like really you know, basic requirements, uh, low cost, and not so much throwaway tech, but it's replaceable at least. Mm. But yeah, that'll be, I'll be interested to see how that's that's adopted when it's when it is released. Was it yourself that mentioned uh, the new Middle Earth game? Link? No, that was Dave. Oh, it was Dave. There's going to be a sequel to Middle Earth: Shadow of Mordor called Middle Earth: Shadow of War. It was found on. Um, a target like dummy page website. Like, these things often happen where you like have listings for like um, supermarkets or um, game stores or anything like that, and they'll have a game in there that's not been announced just because it's went into their system. Uh, they've not been told like don't announce this right now because it's not like a huge huge thing. I mean, Middle Earth Shadow Model was a big game. It did well. Um, I didn't personally enjoy it that much. I know people no. that did. Like I know Johnny and Steve were really into it. Yeah. But it's just like, it was just one of those kind of games where I was like, I understand why people like this and I understand what the appeal of it is, but I just, it's just no gel in me. I put about like 20 hours in it and had to drop it because I just wasn't feeling it. For sure. me, it was a game that didn't have a lot of scope. Mm. So that you can pretty much sum it up in, uh, you're in Mordor, go and kill this guy. You go and you find him. Mm. You kind of listen about, do you know, like the, a good example is, do you know the first Assassin's Creed game? Yeah where each time you got given a target, you did a series of things to allow you to then assassinate the target. So yeah. it was like little missions. Um, I don't even know if they were like related, but it was like, chase this guy and catch him. You've got so many, you're allowed to kill the last guy points. You know, mm-hmm. So you do a few different missions, and then you can kill the last guy. Shadow of Mordor kind of felt like that. Most of the game, yeah. you're just walking across the map to an area where this guy is. You can then like hide and listen to him and find out what his weaknesses are. You can interrogate guys to find out what his weaknesses are or what his sort of pattern of movement is. Uh, and then once you know, you know, he's weak to bees. I don't know. There's some guy bees. that's scared of bees. <laughs> Legit. Or something like that. Yeah, uh, or, just, silly yeah. things like yeah. that. Or like this guy, he can he goes and he looks after the, the wargs. So mm-hmm. he's in the bit with the wargs all the time. And then you go, right, so I'm going to kill him by opening the ward cages. I'm going to get him scared by dropping bees on him. Um, but there's not a great amount of scope to that you just find yourself doing the same stuff again uh, and the story was not great either so the whole game felt to me is like you play an hour of it you've got the gist of it you're never going to have anything come up that is going to be surprising or interesting I think my issue with the story like to, to go on for that is like obviously the the core foundation of what it's based on is like really strong Tolkien lore mm. and like a lo- it references a lot of like weird and like esoteric stuff that's within Tolkien which is really interesting so obviously they've got this really strong foundation, but everything they built on it just doesn't seem like it. Well, the 
the the game itself kind of nestles itself in amongst the Tolkien lore, mm. uh, lore but then kind of just is like itself isn't stuff that is Tolkien. Yes, it's just right. wank basically. It's mm. like, uh, do you remember when they they showed the image of him and he had the the, the hilt and the sword, and, it was and everyone was like, "This is the Shards and Arsal," and they were like, and people were like, "That's dumb. Why has he got the Shards and Arsal?" And then they came out and they're like, "Oh, uh, no, it's not the Shards and Arsal. It's just another hilt." And then you look at it and you look at the image that they'd released. And you're like, but that is the Shards and Arsal. Sure. Like, it's that was broken the exact same way as it is in the film. Why is he, why, why does it look like that? Um, even if it wasn't intended to be, they've ripped them off. Yeah. To make it look Lords of the Ringsy. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, one of the things that it was really heavily marketed for was, is it a rival system? Yeah. The Nemesis system. Nemesis system. That's it. Um, it was, it's a clever idea. They simultaneously base a lot of the game around it, but then don't take advantage of it enough. Right. They they make a really big deal about it. It's like you have to like work your way up the the ranks of the Mordor and kill all these people and get right to the top, and then eventually like I don't know like fucking kill Sauron or whatever. No, that that's not what happens. But um, presumably it's a, a focused uh, time frame within the Lord of the Rings. It is. Oh, let me see. I mean, we, you don't have to be particularly specific. I know it's yeah, something you're it's really into. Before the events. Of Lord of the Rings. Right. And I believe it might be after the events of The Hobbit. I'm not sure. Gollum's in it. Gollum's okay. in it, yeah. Um, it's a really, I think it's, it's not vague. They, they specify. Yeah. But it's yeah. not a point of time that is interesting enough to remember exactly when it takes place. Okay. It's at you the can... point where, like, sorry. sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, it's at the point where Sauron's just starting to build his black army back up again. Right. Yeah. So, um, so you can see them building like the gates and stuff. Do you know where they go at the end of the third film? Yeah, Gollum's kicking about. That's kind of the major tie-in to the rest of the the story. Mm. Is that here? Look, we got Gollum in, and he's doing things because he's the easiest one to make an excuse as to why he's kicking about. Sure, he's, order because he does consistently through like everything, isn't he? Yeah. He's, he's the constant. But it just feels superfluous, mm. right? Is like bad fan fiction. Right, right. Where they they want to be right where everything's happening, but there's no justification for it. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say like it's not a bad game. Mm. I played it for a while. It was fun, and it had some interesting ideas that they didn't really it didn't pan out. Like they didn't fully realize them. Like maybe they build on them. them, Yeah, yeah. And just it was uh, for me a forgettable game. Okay, so I don't. It's it's perfectly adequate. It's like a six six and a half out of ten. Yeah, like Roughly. a game that you could maybe finish and you won't f- regret having finished it. Yeah. But you'd never, if they re-released it, you probably wouldn't pick it up again and play it. Okay. Um, and the Nemesis system was a great idea. Yeah. And it kind of works. Um, I feel like if they were to build on that, the sequel might be actually, that's probably maybe if what they go, want out of it. If they've got bigger scope in the sequel and there's like more to it and it builds into the game a bit more, um, that could be really interesting because it felt like they had like a really good idea as a foundation for the Nemesis system, but like the game wasn't big enough or like padded out enough to really take advantage of it. Right, okay. Like that's what it felt like to me anyway. It's like kind of hard to describe. But um hopefully they'll be able to make something of it in the sequel. Because that was like one of the big sell points and it's one of the things that people when they do say positive things about the game, that's one thing that they've was like, I wish this was bigger or right. it meant more. Okay. So Cool. Well, uh, I guess again, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. I know yeah. you're quite a big Lord of the Rings fan, aren't you, Liam? Yeah. Um, I mean, my knowledge of it, of the lore isn't great, mm. but I love, I love reading it. I love the mm. books. I love the sort of world. I don't have an encyclopedia knowledge of it. You love the board game. I love the board game. Actually, I think it's great. People won't play it, but, um, 
It's a bit like Arkham Horror, where you are probably going to lose. Just released, do your best. It was released before the films, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, not sure if it, I think it's quite old, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but there's, there's like a new edition of it. But they use the art from these two artists that did loads of Lord of the Rings art. Right. Uh, and then they did a lot of concept art for the films. Oh, Can't yeah. remember their names. John Howe and Alan it. something. Yeah. Check you out. Um, that's no, uh, well remembered. Yeah. Um, no, I, I would probably uh, be interested in hearing about the development of this new game. Hmm. Um, not dismissing it based on the first game. It's one of those games for- where you're like, I was disappointed, but I would love to see them expand on it because yeah. it's got potential. So. Um, and Assassin's Creed, I think, did the same thing. The first game never really lived up to its potential. Mm. The second game really nailed it. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard that a lot. I, ha- I have played the first one briefly, but it did feel like a series of just proxy battles yeah. ar- around a, an open map. Um, and they had like good ideas, but never really fully realized them. The second game is a pretty great game, actually. Great. Should we move on? Yeah, yeah absolutely. This is a, a bit of a sad one. Uh, the Nintendo of America co-founder, Alan Stone, has passed away at 71. I believe he died due to cancer. Mm. Um, and that was on February 17th. So a wee bit about him. Nintendo of America was founded in 1981, and I believe that one of his roles was to bring arcade games into the US. Okay. Things like Donkey Kong. When did the, the NES come out? Was it 85? 84. 84. So this would have been like the first time a few people maybe played some of these games, mm-hmm. was when Nintendo of America was yeah. founded. So that's a pretty big thing. That's like... Uh, if that hadn't gone well, maybe you wouldn't have seen Nintendo until much later in in the West yeah. Or, yeah. or whatever. He left not too long after, I don't think. He went and moved over to Sega. Oh, right. And oh, he really? was the CEO of their arcade division. Oh. So he's mostly... I don't think he's ever been involved much in consoles. Mm. Seems like he mostly did arcade games, which yeah. is a, a pretty... like that's You don't get that much anymore. Like, in, in the arcade 80s, games. it was a lot bigger. But yeah. like now it's... The- yeah, and in America, there was such a huge scene for it. Mm-hmm. Actually, um, right now there is a there's a documentary playing through the Glasgow Film Festival, like as we speak, mm-hmm. called uh, "The Lost Arcade." Yeah, this is the one down in London. Uh, the, the arcade. Yeah. No, it's it's based in New York. It's oh um, oh no no I know the one you're talking about. Sorry, it's, yeah. it's somewhere in Chinatown, and I think there's like there's a whole it, it, there was a whole culture around it. Um, but this this documentary looks into it in a really kind of positive light and mm. uh, nostalgic um, about the the stuff that was there and it's it, arcades are a dying industry um, just because it's, it's really expensive to run and maintain and you know it's, it's not necessarily something you can make a lot of profit from mm. that being um, said they still have with... like um, they still have like arcade machine expos in Japan mm. like they still make a lot of money over there obviously that might change considering how much the market is now geared towards mobage in Japan so, like, in five, ten years, it could be going the same way as yeah. the US and the European scene, but... Well, I think in the, in the West, it was kind of killed out by home consoles. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, but a diff- different um, different cultures as well. Mm-hmm. Much much more likely to have someone smashing up a, an arcade in, in the West, I'd imagine, than yeah. in Japan. But, I mean, in, in Japan, like, every arcade we went to was actually pretty busy. Yeah. Mm. There was a lot of people. But they... Um, I think... I definitely had some preconceptions about what I would see in an arcade in Japan. Yeah. And they really actually have a limited sort of... The type of games that you find in there, they're not that varied. I thought it would be no. quite varied. Um, just because that's what you kind of think. Like, Japan has massive arcades. Yeah. They were all quite small. The ones we went to, anyway, smoky and dingy. Mm. But they were... Um, things like fighting games are prolific mm-hmm. there. Some rhythm games. Not as many as I thought. Right. Um, and then uh, sort of weirder... I'm not even sure how to describe them. Um, arcade action 
titles. Like, yeah. they're really big. Um, like gun cabinets and stuff. Mostly stuff like, do you know the Gundam Verse series? Yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. So, like, yeah, full, full flight suit immersion like, type thing. Th- third, pa- third person kind of action games. Like, Dissidia is one of those. Dissidia is not actually a fighting game. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those, um, which is why it works so well in an arcade setting. Usually you'll find these kind of things are 3v3. Yeah. There are a few MOBA titles as well. One of them is um, based on Alice in Wonderland. It actually uses the touchscreen setup. Oh, right. So you use a, like a touchscreen and a pen yeah. to control your like um, mobs right, and right. attack like towers, like like obviously in Dota and League of Legends and stuff like that. That's but interesting. Like, um, the Japanese scene of arcades, like or the Japanese industry for arcades, does like it it's, does a good job of taking stuff from our, from consoles and PCs and that and importing it into a, a scene where it makes more sense in Japan. So, so one of the weird examples of that is there was a Left 4 Dead arcade game mm, in, America, right. in Japan. I don't know how well it did. I don't think it did actually that well, but then maybe it was just the uh, the property rather than the actual uh, setup. You know, mm, yeah. I don't know how popular Valve games are in, in Japan. Sure. Well, but when, uh, when I first went, there was a Left, uh, not Left 4 Dead, uh, a Half Life arcade yeah. game as well, and it was it was like um, it was like a battle arena. Yeah. It was probably using the same engine, I yeah. imagine. But there was a Counter Strike one as well, yeah. right? Okay. Sega have a lot of arcades. Oh yeah, yeah. And then also the the thing is, I don't know how much money they make off of each bit, but when, the ones we went to, the first bit you'd go in was all the crane games mm-hmm. and the sort of the slider games and the weird yeah. sort of prize games. Uh, so it was a couple of floors of them. Then you'd get the uh, sort of, booths and stuff. As yeah, well. and then you'd get like Riven games, and then you'd be going up, you'd go up an escalator, and you'd just get a faint whiff. Of tobacco smoke, mm. uh, and then your eyes would start stinging a bit. The light would get a little bit dimmer, and you'd just come out, and, and there's the fighting games, right? <laughs> because the thing that we noticed is, if you started to smell tobacco smoke in an arcade in Japan, you weren't far away from the fighting games because right, okay. you'd just go and there'd just be a bunch of guys just sitting, cigarette in mouth, just hammering away at this fighting game. That's not great, is it? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's obviously. Uh, tobacco laws in Japan you can smoke indoors yeah and yeah. stuff it's still, um, you can still smoke in restaurants in a lot yeah. of them in Japan as well um, so I mean not criticising that I just think it's a curious sort of it's different. Uh, quirk of the arcades in Japan it seemed more of a like it wasn't some people smoking it was everybody was smoking yeah, yeah. so it was a culture thing like you need like when you're playing fighting games you smoke yeah just that's how it is and so, I mean the the one that stood out for me was the top floor of super potato yeah that's quite like, smoky there's a little smoking bench in there yeah like with an ashtray in front of it and I oh, think right. in yeah. Don Quixote as well um because there's uh I don't know if they're gambling machines but there's certainly like there's the horse racing ones the, yeah. the mechanical ones up on the top floor mm. and the, the the video gambling as well there's loads of guys up there smoking but something I, I I haven't ever looked into this but I found it quite curious was uh, I think it was definitely in Ikebukuro so it was just outside um, it was near the Don Quixote there's like a crossing yes do you know the one where they were playing the Godzilla trailer above the trailer it? for Shin Godzilla yeah yeah nobody else I think that's outside station. I can't remember the, the, uh, the shopping centre but it's where the Ava store is uh, Pipaco right yeah. so just um, as you're crossing the road there's two roads and in the middle there's like an island and on that island, there was a smoking area. Mm-hmm. So it's an enclosure. Mm-hmm. And you went in and everyone in there was just smoking. And I was like, but people just smoke everywhere. So you're allowed to smoke in, um, in, in certain areas in buildings, but, but you're not, not allowed to public. smoke in the street. Um, right. There's there's mm-hmm. certain, there's like cut-off areas in some parks and outside yeah. some office buildings. But yeah, if if you smoke walking down the street, then you can be fine for it. That's, that's mad because that's like the polar opposite of here. Yeah. You can't smoke indoors, go outside. Well, you know, it's also a faux pas to eat in public. Yes. Like to eat whilst you're walking and, um, stuff, and on trains. Yeah. Because so uh, we had to, we'd made a point to sit down and eat lunch at yeah. 7-Eleven all the time. We had, to, we had to sit down. You can't 
walking case. Mm. Well, I, I had no qualms with walking and drinking. So we've we've gone a bit off tangent. Yeah, just a but, um, bit of Japan nostalgia there. Oh, I can love hit you at any moment. <laughs> I love nostalgia about Japan. I've got one more piece of news mm-hmm. um, before we move on, and that is the news this week. It was revealed that Natalie Dormer has been recorded doing a voice for Mass Effect Andromeda. Yes, oh. fucked. Natalie Dormer from uh, Game, Game of Thrones, Thrones and oh, Hunger is that Games? who she is? Like her name had no significance. She's Marjorie Tyrell, I think. Yes. Oh, right. And she's in Hunger Games as one of the video producers. The Hungry Games. The Hungry Games. Yeah, so she's she's actually one of the first characters you speak to after you're woken out of your cryo sleep. She plays a an Asari, and she's a doctor. And it was uh, there was a short um, video which I'll I'll add to the post on azarin.com. And she goes, you've been in a coma for quite some time. <laughs> I'm afraid it's years, been nine years. Like, you know, please try not to panic. It's been 600 years. Not a coma, not a coma. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's pretty cool. Um, there's a little uh, documentary video and she's wearing the N7 hoodie and she's mm. really confident. And I mean, I suppose it's it's not long now until Andromeda comes out. It's March. It's, it's cool to still be getting little trickles of information. Yeah. One of the things that I mentioned when we were doing the show last week, Dave, is that I was concerned that the length of Andromeda wouldn't really be the same as uh, Mass Effect 3. Because it was it seemed like a smaller title. Yeah, and I, I thought it might have been a rushed production as well. Mm. But they did tweet, or information's come about somewhere, I'll try and find the source as well in the blog post, that the crew member with the smallest amount of dialogue mm-hmm. has more dialogue than Shepard did in Mass Effect 3. It's a lot of dialogue. It's... Did they say how many lines it is? No. Oh. Uh, well, maybe they did, but I I certainly didn't grab that. But so I know that like um, I think Witcher Three has like ten, tens of thousands of lines, like sixty thousand lines of dialogue. Yeah, or something like that, so I mean, it, it gets to a certain point, and it's yeah. just it's just a, a number. Yeah. Like because you know a, a line of dialogue that's you can kind of quantify, but mm. several thousand. It's but but comparing it um to an experience. So like if you've played through Mass Effect Three, like Shepard talks a lot. Like mm. that's a large part of the game is just dialogue. So it's quite exciting. I mean, I've, I've pre-ordered it mm-hmm. on PS4. Yeah. Because I'm not actually a fan of Origin. But I, I'm really looking forward to it. And it was quite quite cool to hear that Natalie Dormer was involved as well. Get the celebrities in. Nice bit of celebrity voice acting there. We'll take a short break. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Back shortly. In common, we've come back from the alternate dimension of having a break. We're going to talk about what we've been playing now. Um mm. I'm going to start because I've not been playing very much because I was extremely ill most of the week. Um, my head was full of cotton wool, basically. I just felt, didn't feel like I had any motivation to play anything. I was tired after coming back from work and all that kind of thing. But I did manage to platinum Gravity Rush in cool. the last couple of days. Well I only done. had a couple of trophies left. What I forgot to mention about Gravity Rush last week was that it has a lot of side content. Not side missions, but like um, challenge missions. So like um, time attack and score attack stuff. So, for example, um, there's a lot of missions where you're meant to race through checkpoints through various areas of the city as quickly as possible by using your um, gravity techniques. So, like, um, you've got a gravity slide, you can fly through the air by shifting gravity like mm. in a specific way, um, and stuff like that. It's quite cool. It's like there's different ways, obviously, you can go about it because the checkpoints are just specific areas. You're not funneled into going a specific way. Like, there's obviously 
one way that's the most efficient like yeah. for proper speed runs or like the guys that are right at the top of the leaderboards there's got to be more efficient ways like you can just hop between the checkpoints just by doing something very efficiently the score attack stuff tends to be um, beating up enemies uh, mm-hmm. so like um, however many enemies you can beat in a set amount of time you'll get um, time extenders and point multipliers based on how many you can beat how, and how quickly you can do it there's also a couple of other wee types of missions in there as well like there's one where you have to pick up loads of garbage mm-hmm. and throw it into like a bin basically by using like a, a gravity manipulation technique so you can pick up objects by holding down circle and the more you level up the more stuff you can pick up so okay. obviously that mission is easier if you level up your gravity manipulation technique that allows you to do that are these <clears> the kind of thing you can come back to end game and uh, uh, yeah like the post game you are able to go to pretty much almost every single area in the game again and do anything you might have missed cool there is one exception but it's a spoiler, so I'm not going to mention. Okay, okay. So it's it's not a hard game of platinum. It's just time consuming because there is a lot of stuff and a lot of side content to get through. Yeah, it's quite a long game as well. I think it's like the story is about maybe fifteen hours, and right. then the, the side content's probably an extra five or ten hours on top of that, like roughly to get everything completely clear. So like the gold medal, everything, get all the sides conversations because there's a set of conversations you can have that like tell a wee bit more story. Okay, that's a separate trophy as well. Like that's completely optional. So, it's, like I say, it wasn't difficult, because I'm not very good at games. Right. Um, I just enjoy games rather than being particularly good at them. Right, okay. Yeah, getting the Platinum Trophy in a game is usually seen as quite a big milestone. Yeah, I mean, um, for something like, uh, I don't know, Resident Evil 7, Yeah, there's a lot of stuff you have to do to Platinum that game. Stuff from, like, Bloodborne, Dark Souls, like, there is... Some like, of that stuff some really... really hard bosses. Yeah. Um, uh, which can be really quite frustrating, it takes a long time. This takes a long time, but it's mostly pretty easy going. There's one or two bits that are like frustrating just because the mission is badly designed, okay. or there's an enemy that can be hard to hit sometimes. Because the targeting system is based originally on the Vita's motion sensor, it's now been assigned to the joystick, right. like the right stick. Or you can also use the motion sensor in the um, DualShock 4. And it just isn't very good, unfortunately. Mm. So you end up missing all the time. Like, uh, attacks. Some enemies have weird hitboxes. The way that they move can obscure like their point of weakness so it can be difficult to take them out. So they can be frustrating, but the game itself is not hard. I think when I check the trophy percentages, like about 10% of people that have the game have platinumed it. So it's pretty straightforward. Cool. But that's all I've been playing. What I would say is uh, congrats on your platinum trophy. And yeah. uh, I suppose you're all ready to play uh, Gravity Rush 2 now? Probably, yeah. I would like to buy that. The only game I've platinumed is Grim Fandango. Oh, right. Which is an incredibly easy game to platinum <laughs> because you just play it twice. Right. Like, you have to play it twice because you... Oh, no, you don't even have to. I played it twice because I didn't realise one of the platinum trophies was... Uh, or one of the trophies was that you had to play it on tank controls, hmm. which are fairly bad on Grim Fandango. They fixed it for the remaster. So I played it once and was like, oh, I just need that one trophy. and went back and played it. Because it's all just do this story bit, do this story bit. There's nothing in the game that... If you finish the game... You have to have completed the game. Mm-hmm. There's nothing that you could have done that you haven't done to get to that point. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. No, I've been, I've been playing a few games. One of which was one we were playing the other night. We were playing some Jackbox games. Oh, but, yeah. But we played it over Twitch with some friends. We, were, we weren't together. Uh, if you don't know Jackbox, it's basically a game you put up on your TV and you can log in through your phone mm. and do things. There's like word games. One we were playing was t-shirt games. But we were playing it over Twitch. Because we thought we were all in the PlayStation chat, we could do that and we could all sit and play it. So it was me uh, and some of our friends from Wick and out of England. And so we were playing on Scully's Twitch account. Yeah. And we were making some fairly... Uh, uh, horrible. 
jokes. Horrible jokes. It's a game that's, depending on your sense of humour, can take you to some dark places. Yeah. Uh, and we were was, it, was it a closed Twitch No, stream? No, so the, the thing is, we were doing this, and then about, um, I don't know, half an hour to 40 minutes into playing, we realised that we had 13 people watching us. Yeah. Um, and we were like... Oh, I guess Scully's getting banned from Twitch then. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's kind of it's it's the equivalent of uh, Cards Against Humanity, right? You, yeah, pretty much. Some of them. Uh, it depends on your sense of humor because it's you bring more to it than Cards Against Humanity. Yeah. So with Cards Against Humanity, you just play with what they're yes. giving you. Whereas yeah. with this, it's your input that makes it funny. Yeah. They give you a prompt and then you do something. Uh, and then there's one where you design T-shirts. So you draw it and you make a slogan and you match up the T-shirts and it's, vote on which one's funniest. It's very much in jokes of the game. Yeah. It's yeah. Definitely that. Um, like. Not even existing in jokes. Just we play it for an hour with those friends. You will develop some in jokes. Yeah. That session. Um, but the thing is, uh, the code comes up on the screen. So after we played the first game, we had to rejoin and we were getting new people in. Two complete random strangers off of the Twitch stream joined the game. Mm. Um, I won't reveal their names, but the, one of them tried and as shit as their jokes were they were trying it was yeah. stoner humor so yeah. it was like uh, at least you're trying to but fit in the other person wasn't reading the room at all and was just putting like really middle of the road vanilla clean stuff and nobody was voting for these jokes someone's mum yeah or something well we checked their twitch profile and uh-huh. they were a normal person they looked like she looked like a really lovely person okay friendly whatever but her humor was not the humor of the room and at the end she sent in the twitch chat which is a bit heartbreaking she was just like why did nobody vote for my answers? <laughs> and Scully just goes, sometimes that's just the way the news goes. <laughs> and it was like, oh, but that was a great night. We and were, then she left. Yeah, and then she left. Um, but not after, not before joining the next game. So she joined and then immediately left. Oh, yeah. So she typed in the room code. And then obviously was like, nah, fuck it. I'll just not play. Um, but it was it was great fun. If you haven't um, ever considered doing that over Twitch... Oh, it's it's amazing. Amazing. What are the games called again? Uh, so it's the Jackbox Party Pack. You get Quiplash. And these are on Steam? Steam and PlayStation 4. Okay. Uh, I don't know about Xbox. Um, yeah, the Jackbox Party Pack is the best way to buy them. Yeah. Because you get all of their games. But you can buy them separately. So there's like Quip, Quiplash, which is basically Cards Against Humanity. Mm-hmm. Right. There's Drawful, which is like Pictionary, mm-hmm. but they put a spin on it. There's Fibbage, where you have to tell lies that are convincing. I love that one. That was, yeah. that was so much fun that when we played it. And then there's the newest one, which is TKO, where you draw a t-shirt and then write in slogans and everyone matches up each other's t-shirts to other slogans and you vote on which one is best. Um, that we one were was in great fun. Tears. Yeah, that one sponsored TKO? by like T-Fury. Do they just uh, I don't know, data? but you can buy the t-shirts at the end of the game. You would mm-hmm. not want to buy any of your t-shirts. <laughs> no, you'd probably get arrested for wearing some of them. <laughs> right. Um, the only one that I think we can even mention on the, the podcast is one that was a picture of Mario and it said, it me Mario. <laughs> the other one's just... It's me Mario. No. But that was great fun. Um, I also completed Resident Evil 7 in the, since the last podcast. I've played through that entire thing. Right. Well done. Um, I would say, I would put that in, that is now one of my top three games of the generation. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say so. I'd so say The so. Witcher 3, Bloodborne, and Resident Evil 7. That is my, those, those are the pinnacle of what has come out so far for the generation. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't go into too much. There's not a lot to discuss about it. That isn't spoiler territory. Sure. Yeah. Um, it's a very hard game to discuss without ruining it completely. Okay. Um, we can maybe do a spoiler cast at some point. Yeah. If I ever. Well, even if I don't, I'm sure you yeah. guys can I mean, talk about I mean, it. I think Capcom have now considered like spoiler, um, like a kind of grace period to be over with a DLC announcement and all that kind of thing as yeah. well. So it's not um, long, is it? No. No. Uh, I think they maybe expected that. The people who have bought it or the people who are going to buy it. Yeah. It's yeah. not outsold 
uh, Resi 6. No, but it did make back its production costs. Well, that's, that's a good start. So I don't think they were expecting it to. This is very much uh, Capcom saying, we know there's problems with this series. We're going to try and fix it. And as far as I'm concerned, they nailed it. Mm. Like, um, this is at the exact same time. Like, everything they do is both a step forward and a massive step back as well. Mm. Not in terms of going back. I mean, uh, back to its roots. So in a good way. It's entirely a Resident Evil game of the sort of 90s era Resident Evil. Um while still modernizing the series and making it new and intriguing again, it's yeah. incredible. So I'd, I'd rate that very highly. I mean, there's, there's so much of Resident Evil 7 that's new as well, in terms yeah. of like the going back to its roots, they, they're using like different uh, graphic styles. Yeah. Uh, as you mentioned in the previous podcast, it's all scanned in. Yeah. Um, they're, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's a different engine from Resident Evil 6, it's, but it, yeah, the gameplay is like miles apart. Re... Uh, Re-engine or something? Re-engine or re-engine. I don't think yeah. they specified which is. So this is maybe just laying the foundations for their franchise to evolve from here. Yeah. It's very much a game where they're like, this is, we're going to do something radically different. What do you think? Mm. That's the kind of game it feels like. It's so. not, I would hesitate to call it a reboot or even a soft reboot because yeah. it is neither of those things. But it is very much a rethinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also maybe um, a reacquaintance. So they've reacquainted themselves with the series. Uh, and it... it I think it's quite remarkable what they've done. Some people yeah, have some issues absolutely. with it. So there is some uh, areas of the plot where if you're not paying attention 100%, you might get a bit confused. Most of it, if you go back and re- like check the, the story, can be explained and you'll understand it. But some of it is easily missed. Um, and then some of the stuff towards the end of the game raises questions rather than answering questions. Mm-hmm. Those aren't questions that were established earlier in the game. They're new questions. Mm-hmm. So it's very much a sort of, this is what, you know, obviously they're going to be doing something more yeah. next and don't know what that is. So it's very exciting, I think. Uh, they do leave some cliff, like some things are open, but mm-hmm. they are heavily implied in the game to be wrapped up later. So it's stuff that your involvement in that is wrapped up and you know, you know, it does. you're not there but going like, but wait, what about? Mm. You're kind of just being like, oh, right. I wonder what, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's like re- Seven is the first piece in a bigger puzzle they want to construct. And the journey of Ethan, Ethan Winters and his wife, um, is like us, just it's their perspective of whatever is going on in the world that isn't evil now. And it involves some very interesting stuff. Like, um, they've. I can't even mention any because it's all huge spoilers. It's, so. it's, it's all like there's stuff where you'd think it would not be important and you could mention it, mm-hmm. but then you remember it's so tied into other things that as soon as you start talking about it, you're like, yeah. oh, I have to mention this. I have to mention this. You can only make very broad, general statements about the game if you don't want to spoil it. So sure. things like I mean, it's the most human story that they've told, yeah. while also at the same time being every bit as ridiculous as any other mm-hmm. story that they've told. I think what I like them that one of the, uh, the developers and specifically I think the either producer or director was at some kind of games festival in Japan and he was doing a presentation on the game in Japanese and there was a slide that came out that somebody translated and two of the major points were go back to the series roots and no co-op and the third point was Evil Dead that was just the third point was Evil Dead actually one of the characters references like one of their lines is just a line from the Evil Dead which is fantastic it also manages to run the whole sort of gamut of horror stories. Mm. 
Like, um, every type of horror is in it. But it doesn't feel jarring. It's kind of seamless. Again, if I go into it, there are massive spoilers. Like, if I tell you what horror story, like, sure. sort of horror genres it goes into, you can then infer things that will happen. Yeah. Um, really just think you just, people have to play this game. It is one of the, hands down, one of the best games this generation. And it's a real shocker, I think, coming from Capcom now. Uh, it's at the point where you don't really expect too much from Capcom. No. Mm. Um, they've had a bit of a weird period. Uh, but this feels like a completely different studio has made it, or a developer has come in and revitalized itself. Okay. My other game that I've been playing is Neo, which I have not finished. I'm about an hour to two hours into it. Um, if you haven't heard of Neo or haven't played Neo or seen Neo, it can be summed up as Dark Souls for a weeaboo audience. Going by the tone of the trailers, I was not expecting what I got from the very beginning of the game. Okay. Which is uh, kind of... It reminds me of things like Devil May Cry or anything. Oh, is it that kind of game? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, That's exciting. So basically the premise of the game is Spain and Britain are at war. Okay. Or were at war. And England has defeated Spain using... Not clear on what it is, but some sort of gemstone or something. It gives them demonic powers. Right. And so now they're trying to find more of these gemstones or whatever. Uh, so they are trying to destabilize Japan because war generates these things or something. They're like, oh, if right. Japan stays at war, we will be able to find more of these gemstones or whatever. Okay. It's very, it's not vague. It says stuff, but a lot of it is waffle. Um, it's not bad. It's, it's a premise. It sounds similar to, to the premise of Full Metal. Maybe. I don't know very or, much about that. It would be a spoiler, so okay. I can say, but it, it's to do with the acquisition of resources that are generated yep. during war. Okay. So, first off, that's ridiculous. The, the premise of it is England and Elizabeth II beat Spain using demonic gemstones or something. Is she actually in it? Rocking like a battle axe? They mention her, um, but there's a sort of, they kind of protect themselves from history. Okay. So, like, the history books haven't recorded this because England was embarrassed about using demonic powers oh to God, win war. Quality. So the Queen doesn't know. And and they haven't advertised that they've hidden this fact. Uh, and they used pirates to acquire them. And now you are one of the pirates. You're an Irish man, which I didn't realize. The guy with the blonde hair? Yeah. All oh, right. I thought he was Dutch. Uh, well, he sounded Irish. Right, okay. Maybe he is Dutch. Could be. I'm, I'm not sure. You're, you are, uh, I thought I was going to be a samurai. I went into this game knowing very little. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're in prison and you're about to be executed to keep this a secret. Right. And you have a spirit guide companion who helps you break free of the prison. Uh, and then this is the very start of the game. So, um, it's not really spoilers. Uh, so you, you break out and you're trying to escape from the Tower of London. Okay. You're in the Tower of London. Um, and you get to the top and there's an executioner waiting for you. He's the guy that was going to kill you. So he's the first boss is this executioner. Uh, and you defeat him with the help of your spirit companion, which is weird. Um, and then, um, somebody else appears, not clear on who he is, but he's got these tattoos all over him and he, he, uh, resurrects the executioner. Right. Using some demonic power. And now the executioner has like horns and stuff and glowing like runes and all this stuff. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> so the whole game just is very campy so right. far. Okay. And a bit, uh, I would say, I'd use the word naff. Mm. I'm enjoying it. It's fun. It's dorky. But if you look at, say, a lot of people compare it to Dark Souls. 
And if you look at the tone of Dark Souls, it's all very downbeat, highbrow. Maybe it's it's not cheesy. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very um, serious, very dark. Yeah. Whereas this feels like a trashy anime story, Would and you a say lot it of the... feels like Ninja Gaiden. Yeah, maybe Same something like Ninja Gaiden, and that does make sense. Similarities to Dark Souls are it plays exactly like Dark Souls. Right. Even to the point where when I first booted it up and I was like, oh, this game looks a bit janky. Right. Like, your camera cut clips through certain things um, and you get some weird visual uh, things in your way when you clip through certain... Not every wall, but sometimes, like, there's bars, so it'll clip through them and you can't quite see properly. Yeah. Uh, and that took a while to get used to. And then I was like, well, let's not be too down on it because earlier games in the Souls series weren't the prettiest games ever. I mean, they weren't bad but they were a bit scruffy. And mm. even now, there's certain things where, like, they're not, like, the best optimized games or anything, you know. It, it's uh, very easy to get uh, cheesed into a corner. And then yeah. the camera just completely obscures what you're seeing. Like, mm. that's, I've, yeah. I've been playing Dark Souls all week. Yeah. So I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, uh, and also, the sort of, the way enemies attack you is very similar. So you'll be, you'll be walking past the door and somebody will charge through some boxes and attack you. Right. In much the same way that it happens in Dark Souls. And then you'll have enemies with this. You know how they have the crossbows? Yeah. And stuff like that. And you'll be fighting one guy. And there'll be a guy just along the bit away shooting at you. The worst. Even the way you're sort of like the, the way you approach enemies is all very Dark Souls. Uh, one of the differences is they have stances in yeah. Neo. Yeah. So you can change between like a high stance for assaulting sort of offensive moves. You have like a mid stance, which is great for blocking. Um, so far I haven't really found it to change my approach to things. So you can choose anyone and you'll probably do fine. Right. Uh, I'm hoping that comes into play later on when there's maybe mm. some harder bosses. So far, it's, it's, I mean, it's a nice looking game. Sometimes the sheen wears away a bit and you're like, oh, that's a bit janky. Mm. It does just feel like Dark Souls. There's no, nothing in it where I'm like, that's an interesting mechanic. Does it have uh, co-op and PvP in the same sense? I have no idea. I know that I keep finding these um, swords stuck in the ground. Yeah. So there's swords in the ground and you can awaken things and fight them. And I'm not, I don't actually know a lot about the game other than what I've learned in the two hours that I've played it. I never yeah. read up on it. I never watched that many trailers. I think these are other players. Right. Or something of that. They, they feel like invaders from Dark Souls. So those were in the demo as well. Yeah. And I, at the same time, I thought they might represent other players or at least have the same loadouts as other players. Yeah. But I wasn't entirely certain they if they all were have intended names. to be. And if you die and reload, if you defeat one and then you die and reload, it's still there. Right, okay. So I have no idea really what they are. It's maybe just like an extra mm. challenge or something? Yeah, but they are pretty much just, um, mechanically they are just uh, in- invaders, kind of. Mm. Just guys for you to fight. They're even, I believe, red. Yes. So, yeah. um, so the, the stamina is slightly different. Yeah. Um, um, you can... So in, in Dark Souls, when your yeah. stamina gauge runs out, you can't attack. Yeah, you have to let it like go up a little more, and the more powerful your attacks, the faster your stamina yeah. gauge goes down. In Neo, when your st- stamina ends, you can't move, mm. you can't do anything, and it gives them an opening to attack. Right, your stamina recovers much quicker, I think, in Neo than it ever did in Dark Souls. Okay, I haven't found it to be too much of an issue. The only times where I get caught out is a lot of their attacks. If they you get hit by an, a heavy attack, your stamina will drop like nothing. Same in like Dark Souls, your stamina drops and you block and stuff yeah um but in neo it really catches you out more often than it mm. did in dark souls how does the stamina work in let it die when it runs out dave um pretty much exactly like it does in dark souls um, right so it, it doesn't uh, incapacitate you 
No, um, I think um, I think if it, you you are incapacitated for like um, a couple of seconds, but doesn't sound like it's quite as bad as in Neo, where it's like it's, you're completely like stationary. Yeah, you you kind of stop, and it leaves you well open for attack. Mm. So in terms of gameplay, so far it's just been Dark Souls. If you play the first one specifically, I just remember something about the story, which is really weird. I don't know why I'm in Japan. I know why the British are in Japan or want to be, mm-hmm. but you go over as part of a fleet of boats. Right. And then all the boats bar yours get destroyed on the way. And you, you arrive. And I'm like, hang on, why, why did I come to Japan? I guess maybe to get my spirit companion back. But it doesn't really make that evident. You just, you jump off at the top of the Tower of London into some water and then you're on a boat on the way to Japan. Right, okay. And who is it that's developing this? Uh, Ninja Theory? Team Ninja. Team Ninja. Team Ninja. Oh, I always get okay. those two confused. Ninja Theory was DMC. Yeah, that's right. Team Ninja was like, did they do uh, Dead or Alive as well? They do Dead or Alive, Ninja, Ninja Gaiden. Gaiden Black. Well, Ninja Gaiden in general, sorry. Um, they also do work on some Warriors titles as well. Like uh, they did uh, Hyrule Warriors. Cool. So, um, In terms of like Japanese folklore, um, do you have you experienced much of that in the game not so yet. far? There's stuff like there are... Um, that's another weird thing I should mention. There are shrines that you pray at. Mm. And they have them in the Tower of London as well. <laughs> That's appropriate. So they introduce them in the Tower of London, but they're, they're, they look sort of more Christian in the Tower of London. Right, okay. Then you get to Japan and they're like, um, little shrines for like, uh, sort of, uh, Buddhist or Shinto stuff. And there's little creatures on them and I keep seeing them around. Little green guys with like upside down balls on their head or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what they do. I don't know if they have a mechanical thing or whatever. Haven't been able to interact with them yet. Are they like Kappa or something? Yeah, they, something they look like, like that. They, they're, the Kappa are the ones with the water in their head, right? If they bow, the water spills out. Isn't it? Isn't that a Kappa? Oh, no, no. I, I, I don't know. I'm I pretty sure that's what a Kappa is. Kappa are like half turtle, half human or something. They've got are they? a shaved circle in their head. I, I oh, mean, maybe. I, I've seen a lot of... I've only really read up on or like noticed Japanese folklore through popular culture. Right. So it's usually different and it's like variations okay. of. So it, you might be totally right. Yeah. So these guys are hanging around. They look like the spirits from Princess Mononoke. Yeah. The little guys. Mm. I don't know what they do. That's the only sort of Japanese mythology type stuff I've found. Mm. Um, they look like we mascot things. Like yeah. They're intended to be the mascot for the game. But um, they didn't, they were in the demo as well, like, but only on the start stream. And I've no idea what they are, what they do, what yeah. the context for them is. So. On the start screen, they're on the shrine as well, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's the first time you see him, he's sitting on a shrine. And then I found him, one of them behind like some boxes. Uh-huh. I destroyed some boxes. I was like, oh, hey, little guy. And then I was like, I'm surely I can get something from this. Because if you think about like Dark Souls, you see the guys that you kill and you get the, the shards or whatever. Mm. The armor shards from the first Dark Souls. Um, I believe they're called like a... It's like Titanite or something? Titan, yeah. So the, the lizards. Yeah. Um, and I was like, maybe lizards. he gives me something like that. And then he didn't. I couldn't hurt him i could touch him or speak to him so maybe it'll just maybe they're just like cute wee things that you see um you get off your boat and you're on a beach mm-hmm. and within 20 minutes you're kitted out in like uh peasant militia japanese gear right so you go there you're in your um sort of more western clothes off your your sort of like sailing outfit or whatever and you're just you have no weapons you just got your fists then they'll they'll give you like a spear or something and then you walk forward you kill a guy and he drops a hat you walk forward, you kill another guy, he drops some trousers, and you, you're, you're just getting off the beach, and you're like, I have just kitted myself out as a peasant militia. I'm a level 5 MMO character. Yeah. Right? How many people have to die to outfit your character with clothes? A few. And then you'll be playing for another 20 minutes, and you will get uh, about five of each of that item. Right. So the first area, you um, you have no armor. 
you're in like shorts or something and you start to get Tower of London guard outfits. Within it took me like ten minutes to get the full Tower of London guard outfit, which is like trousers, uh chest, arms, hat and a spear or a sword. Is it one of those like really fancy it looks polar like a, caps? Yeah. And then by the end of the Tower of London segment I had like three trousers, like four chests, all the exact same. Mm. And I don't know why they do that. It, some of the game just feels weird and janky. Some of it looks really nice. Um but I will report back when I've maybe yeah, please do gotten right into it because I'll know more about what the story is. It seems like one of the games that starts off really slow. And yeah, it takes a while to get properly going. And I, I do enjoy it. I've been I really enjoyed what I played of it because I'm a big Dark Souls fan. If you yeah. like Dark Souls, you're not going to play this and go, oh well, they're not quite getting you know mm. it's a it's not a bad stab at doing a Souls game that isn't a Souls game. Yeah, uh, it's just not a very innovative one. Mm. You're not going to find anything here that is building on that formula. Mm. It is just that formula, but it's not uh, FromSoft. So. Cool. Well, maybe check it out. Yeah. Uh, really good game. I'd maybe say wait for the price to come down. I don't okay. think it's... Uh, it doesn't feel like a game that is worth... I think I paid like £55 for it. And it doesn't feel polished enough to demand that price tag. Okay. Uh, so, uh, one more thing before we do our Poorly Remember Game Quote. This weekend, Saturday the 4th of March, I believe, um, is... Gless Games 11 in mm. the Drygate in Glasgow. I last went along for Gless Games 9, I think, and it was a really fantastic event. Uh, you can go into the, the Drygate, get a drink, play some video games. They have uh, tournaments. They're having a pub quiz at 4 o'clock, if you can make it along. So that's worth checking out. I'll put a link in the the post. Um, um, me and Liam will not be there. We're going to be playing Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, yeah. Which we were supposed to play. so much fun. Uh, this weekend, we're looking forward to starting that. Yeah, it should be good, so... What are you rolling? I'm a dragonborn and a wizard. Half elf paladin. God, yeah. you guys are so fucking cool. Uh, it's gonna be great. We almost made it through the entire podcast without swearing. No, I said fuck a few times. Oh, Bastard okay. arse. Blanco. <laughs> Whoa. There we go. That's fair. Um, Got to earn that parental advisory tag on iTunes. Yeah, we're explicit. We don't, we don't even do the disclaimer anymore. It's... No. <laughs> uh, Dave, do you have a poorly remembered game quote? I certainly do. This one's, um, I don't think we've ever mentioned this even this series of games before, so this one and it's it is a quote that some people might know about. Um but it's a it's quite a weird one. So it's um this boat runs on happy faces. That's it again. This boat runs on happy faces. Is it Dark Souls? It's actually from Manhunt. It's Manhunt two actually. Shoveling those happy Wii. faces into the yeah. Steam Boiler. No, if you know, you can win a copy of Super Meat Boy. Um, so you can get in touch with us at podcast at ozarin.com. You can leave a comment on our SoundCloud page or our Facebook page or the blog post at ozarin.com. Or Tinder account. I don't have a Tinder account. A Grinder account. You can leave a comment one. on my Grinder. <laughs> oh my god. No, none of those. We don't have those. That's why Ashley's not on the podcast anymore. Do the thing and get the game. If you know, let us know. And you can win a copy of Super Meat Boy. It's still a great game. It's very hard. Did I ever remember I Want to Be the Guy? Uh, no. But what's the, what's the name of that game that is not called Cat Mario? Cat Mario? Oh god, um, I can't remember. Um, all I remember is Kaizo Mario, which was a ROM hack, but I don't remember the name of Cat Mario. Oh, it's, Cat it's not Mario. actually called Cat Mario, but it's got a cat that's Mario in it, which is also really hard. Is it like Katamari? No, no, it was it was in that like that weird period in like two thousand and eight where like every new platformer was super hard for no reason. Oh no, I think I know which one you mean. Yeah, like like I want to be the guy and stuff like that. Uh, but I think that genre's kind of died out now. Yeah, which is a shame. 
Cat Mario was basically just Mario where things didn't work like you expected them to in Mario. Yeah. And you had to just keep replaying it to trial and error. It was trial it and error, yeah. Oh, I know the one you mean. I know the one you mean. So like bricks would fall when you tried to stand on them and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the ceiling would fall on you. Clouds would kill you. It was just a massive troll. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, we'll be back next week with another podcast and yeah. another game to win. Uh, yeah. Another challenging one I think it'll be Jimmy White's World and Snooker it's not going to be Jimmy White's World and if you can find a copy we can offer that I've got got some Mega Drive cards somewhere don't doubt me do not (laughs) doubt me right thanks for listening see you bye